Welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm joined, as always, with James. How are you doing, James? I am fabulous. Even more fabulous because we have a new guest. Yeah, so we have a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Ray. Ray, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you guys for having me. I shouldn't call it a show. This is no show. This is serious conversations, but glad to have you with us. <laughs> it is good to be here. Ray is a, a friend that goes back to my time overseas. Uh, I was just telling James, he was my original team leader when I was a twerpy uh, journeyman. So he put up with the uh, 23-year-old version of me. So I'm grateful for that and, and grateful to have you, Ray. And yeah, just the, you, you bring a unique perspective, particularly in that you are mobilizing from a church setting. And so we're interested to hear about that. So James, I'll, I'll turn it over to you to kind of get the ball rolling here. Okay, that sounds good. Well, just to begin, like we know, we know you you made Brad the man he is. Um, but give us a little bit, give us a little bit about your missions background. Tell us a little bit about your story. Okay, I'd been a believer about a year when I felt called to mission. So I was twenty. So for me, that's important time period as I think about others in that age range. And then the, but the Lord didn't really work it out for us to go overseas until we were 33. And uh, it was, it's like we waited and waited and boom, the doors were just wide open and he made Mm -hmm. it so clear. And we went and served in Central Asia. We were there nine years, but we were still with our organization after that for another four and a half years, hoping to go back. But we were in the States as associate candidate consultants, interviewing people that wanted to go overseas. And then uh, we were back in the States because of a medical issue with one of our kids. And that wasn't cleared up to the point where we could go back. And then the Lord opened the door for us to come to our church here in Oklahoma. And are you originally an Okie? I am. Yep. So how how did you wind up in your spot in Central Asia? Like, how did God give you that call? I think, you know, I, after I felt called, you know, I was reading a missionary biography and and stirred for, I think, a, a long time towards a, a particular area of the world. And, but when I was in seminary, I went just to get more information because they had a program called Two Plus Two. Mm. Sometimes they call it Two by Two now. And when I went in, guys said, well, have you had anthropology for missionaries? And I said, yeah. And he's like, Really? Because, you know, it's an obscure course. And everybody takes that. If you had some other weird class, it's like, yeah, Ray, this is November. Ray, you can come down in January, take a full-time load, then take two-week course in linguistics for missionaries, and then take a year's worth of Greek in the summer, and then go out with us to Central Asia in August. What do you think? It didn't happen that fast, but it wasn't much <laughs> slower than that. And I was like, well, I think I need to talk to my wife. So I called Tina. We lived in Virginia. I was down in North Carolina. I commuted. And there's just this peace. And there were a number of different countries to choose from. Anyway, things happened. Within the next month, that professor said, you know, where exactly do you feel called? And I said, well, I've always felt called to this one particular place, but we'll go wherever there's a need. And he said, well, actually, we have a need there. We just had a couple back out from going. Mm -hmm. And I was praying and asking God to raise someone up. But this is a two-year process, and this is the end of the third semester. So even as I prayed that, I thought it wasn't possible that there would be a couple to send there. He said, so you're an answer to prayer. So 
when we chose it, I knew nothing about it. He printed out information about the people group. That was my first exposure to it. So it wasn't like I had a long runway in terms of knowing where I was going to go. It's just we waited and waited, had a general idea, and then just had peace that it was the right thing to do. And real quickly, what, what were you doing between that, between 20 and 33? I started to work for the Department of Defense. So I, I did that at Fort Sill for two years. Okay. And then was transferred to Virginia. Okay. And then transferred where it was really cool. And cold. <laughs> well, and if, beautiful. If you were to give me just a couple of highlights of your time there while while God had you in country, what would you tell me? I remember being at like an English corner and meeting someone and and then introducing this young lady to my wife. And she became close with us, would come over. You know, she was from a Muslim background, but she was very open and asked lots of questions. And I remember at one point, you know, this had been going on for quite a while, but at one point someone told her, like, hey, listen, you know, this was another foreigner. Hey, you you can accept Jesus as your savior. And I know you're struggling whether whether he's divine or not, but you can you can do that later, you know. And so she asked me about that. And I said, well, I wish I could tell you it was so easy, but that's the heart of the gospel is who Christ is. And so I just want you to know, if you're going to do this, jump in feet first and accept it all. And don't go down the road where you think you've accepted something that you haven't. Anyway, she ended up moving out of the country. And it was strange. Some years later, she was in the States. And she was with my brother-in-law's brother. Hmm. She was at his church. So they were saying, so how did you come to know the Lord? And she said, well, there's this guy named Rain, and he told me about the gospel. And that was very encouraging because where we were at, the work was slow. You were just mostly hmm. sewing. So that was that was encouraging. Yeah, that's awesome that God brought that back so that you got to know that. Right. Could have waited till heaven. I think that's the first I've heard that story, Ray. That's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was in. I was emotional, and then I talked to her. He was like, "Hey, mm. here she is." <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, okay." Wow. Yeah, that was so cool. Well, I'm always getting on James's case for asking questions not on the list of questions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one that does it now, Ray. I'm I'm just curious talking to you I or hearing you talk I am remembering the common connection that the three of us have and that we all served overseas and came back maybe weren't expecting that we would be living in the states at this point and are in mo missions mobilization so I just wonder how have you I know James and I have discussed this a lot and and tried to encourage each other how have you come to a place of peace if this isn't sort of second best being back here in the States and maybe mm. not being overseas? Well, I think I can only, I can only do that by faith because my heart wants to be back overseas. Mm. I mean, if you ask me, I think if you ask Tina, she'd be like, let's go tomorrow. If, <laughs> if the Lord reopened the opportunity, so, I mean, I mean, honestly, it's just a choice that I think I know he's sovereign. I know 
and you, I could see his hand in bringing us back and see how he provided for us. I mean, when we came back, we got noticed that, you know, hey, you've got to be back in the States in 30 days and you can get two months of support and then you can take a leave of absence. That's what they told us. I remember I just sent out a newsletter just letting people know, hey, this is what's happening. And this lady wrote, she was like, we always stayed in their mission house. She was like, hey, I've wondered why our mission house hasn't filled up. These things fill up years in advance and we haven't been able to fill it. And now I know why. It's because we needed a landing spot. So I would say, you know, just from his word and from the way he's provided, I absolutely know that we're supposed to be here and that I'm not less involved in carrying out the Great Commission. I'm just in a different location. Yeah. yeah. I've I've always admired your faith in that process, Ray. I mean, I've been walking with you, goodness, now it's been 15 years since that original <laughs> uh, email saying you had to come home. Something pretty yeah. close to that. Just all, you've always had a faith perspective on it. So uh, that's been challenging to me and encouraging to me. I just sent out to my family today reminding them so it was 24 years ago today that we landed in that country. Wow. It was 15 years ago today that we left it. So, mm. yeah, no coincidences. Uh, it doesn't seem that long ago that we were all there. And so then when you came back, you kind of got resettled and you then worked for the IMB for a while? As mm -hmm. a so, mm -hmm. And I love that, meeting with people, interviewing them. I'm, I drove all over Texas except down by Houston and then eventually even up into Oklahoma. And that was certainly enjoyable, meeting people and helping them get overseas, answering their questions, and then just, you know, seeing where, where they were at. Yeah, I loved it. Mm -hmm. How much of that was, I don't know enough about the role, how much of that was like mobilizing and how much of that was like sorting through those who were like kind of feeling mobilized or feeling called? Most of it was sorting through. I was down at a seminary regularly so people could come ask me questions. And so there was a mobilizer aspect to it. But most of my time was spent with people who already felt like they wanted to go. Mm -hmm. I, well, I did forget. I used to travel around to some of the colleges and meet collegiate ministers so that they knew who I was. Mm -hmm. So if they had kids that wanted to serve as journeymen and had questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's, what's the one secret to getting through if you're lined up and you're ready to go to the field? <laughs> what do you tell your candidate consultant? That's kind of the joke, but uh... <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so then how long have you been in your current role? So you, or, or maybe how long did you do that? And then so I did that about four and a half years, and I've been here 10, 10 in okay. June. Okay, wow. So what's that been like? Uh, so now you're at a church, you're working through a church. Give us a little idea of the scope of what, what your work looks like there. Well, I was the, I'm the only one that's been in this position. So it was a new position, you know, mm -hmm. which meant that you had the blessings and be able to create you also had the burden of able to create, you know, mm -hmm. because there's a there was a lot of things you you could do. What my responsibilities they kind of range from local, from you know helping people that come in and ask for utility assistance. We've got people to help with that. I've got someone underneath me that does a true recreation ministry, like it's set up 
to be mm-hmm. an outreach. He runs Upward Sports, and we get lots of young families in through that. We also have a church planning element, and we had a, just a very gifted Hispanic man here that God has used, and he's way up in Nam now. But through that, we have a church planning residency program at our church. And so I don't run that program, but I am the relationship between us and the people that do it, a, a church that was started here and that we partner with. And then just, you know, kind of local missions or ministry efforts here and then in the States and then around the world. So, Ray, one of the things we've been asking each other and maybe a question that nobody can really answer, but just be curious if you have perspective. And that is, do you see interest in going to the nations among Americans increasing, decreasing, about the same? I don't know. How how would you answer that? You know, I've been encouraged that, you know, we send our kids to a very large youth camp that that has a pretty strong missions emphasis. And it's very common when those kids come back for there to be either new kids that have expressed a calling towards international missions. And so I guess in I don't know broadly, but what I would say here, when kids are exposed to it or young people are exposed to it, I don't feel like it's diminished. Um, I don't know whether it's growing or not, but I think you still see people responding and that's an encouragement to me. What about inside your church itself? Not not high school kids, but grownups that have the ability now, like if God said, hey, now's the time they can more or less pick up and go. I think I, I don't, well, I, I was about to say, I don't see much of that, but we sent two families out, you know, two, two and a half years ago that are in North Africa. So that's, okay. that's not true. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's that. But I, but I still think that the majority of what we see are people, because we do have lots of trips that are organized from kind of middle school up, and that mm-hmm. just exposes them both here and then abroad to the nations. And and you see that come to fruition. Out of those short- you, Oh, go ahead, James. I was just kind of summarizing. So you're saying like out of those short-term trips is where you see your long-term interest- Mostly, yeah. Ray, what would you say um, are some of your biggest challenges to mobilizing people when you start talking to people? What are their concerns or objections or things like that? Well, it depends on the age, but like, I think money, you know, if you're talking about trips, you know, I think money's an, an issue. And, but I can encourage them and that over and over again, we've seen people, I just, I always tell them, don't let that be your deciding factor. You need to pray and feel like if the Lord wants you to do this. And I've seen over and over and over how he's provided just that we have a girl. I'll tell you more about her later. But just this summer, she was going to go for three three months to Europe. Not cheap, right? Mm-hmm. She worked and put money towards it. But the Lord just really raised up people to support her. So I think people have an initial concern about money. There's a girl going with us to North Africa in November, and that was her concern. I was just like, just trust the Lord with that. And, you know, and then I say, and here's some example support letters. There are people that love you, that want to invest in you, people who will never go. And so anyhow, so I think that's a that's a big obstacle. 
<laughs> and then guys, I'm not sure what the deal is with guys. You know, that seems like a universal issue. Like why so many women responding, you know, <laughs> but I, I, it's still an issue. What do you think it is? Why is it that guys don't step up and go? I mean, the history, I, I, the history of missions in America, you know, it was at the, the beginning guys. It was the guys who were like, all right, we're going to go. Well, I'm sure it's a lot of things. One, guys have other ministry opportunities that more of them than women do. So they're kind of pushed towards missions because it's an avenue open to them. Guys often feel pressure from their parents, maybe, to to get a secure job, a good job. That's not why you go into the missions is for money. <laughs> uh, so I think that's part of it. But sometimes I think they don't, uh, they don't, you know, they guys want a challenge and I think they don't have a vision for what that really is. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. that this is, this is not something easy that we're talking about. This is something you've got to give your all to. And I'm, I'm not sure that they really understand that. And to be frank, I'm not sure that, you know, there are very many parents telling them they ought to you know, mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. Well, so that's the challenges. How about the flip side of it, Ray? Uh, joys that you've had, maybe particular experience or person that stands out to you? There's a couple of things that come to my mind. We went to Poland over spring break, probably 2019. And while we were there, the there was a girl on the team. She was majoring in French, minoring in German. So I asked her, I was like, have you ever thought about the journeyman program? She'd never heard of it. And she's like, you know, I just think I want to be like a flight attendant or something. I was like, okay. But near the end of the week, one of our sponsors said, hey, you know, Bethany wants to come talk to you. And I thought, oh, my land, what'd she do in the middle of the night? She was in there crying because she just felt called. So I met with her about a month after that. She just started growing and, you know, pursuing different people as mentors in her life. Mm -hmm. And we have an evangelism class. She took that. My wife and I were in the second year of kind of meeting with a different group every two weeks. It's very outward focused. She participated in that. She was very sick for a while, but just kept trying to recover. She went with us to France on the, you know, she still wasn't a hundred percent, but God just worked it out. And Brad, you'll, you'll, you'll know, understand this and you too, James, but considering someone you know, like her major's French, right. But you can major in something and not hardly understand anything. She was good enough where she translated for us. Mm in Paris as we were doing outreach to different people. Yeah. is is really neat. But anyway, and then she's the one that just has finished this three month uh, time where she spent in Europe with greater European mission. And, and I had connected her with this group that trains people and she's just started this. It's a nine month group, highly, it's very intense. It's you meet four hours a week with this group. You spend three hours a week with Jesus and you spend two hours a week out doing outreach. And it's 
part of it is intended by the end of it, you kind of narrow down which agency you're going to go through and all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the classic thing of where it wasn't on her radar, but the Lord used that trip just to open her eyes and give her a heart of compassion towards lost people. But I was going to mention one other thing that's a little, it's related to that. And that was, it grew out of our student ministry. You know, what do we do to help kids that feel called? So what we do now, I've got a simple little booklet, but if they feel that way, I say, hey, would you like me to connect you with a missions mentor? And what a missions mentor does is they meet with you regularly. They talk about your calling. You know, we've got a book you go through to help them think through at a high level what missions looks like. You go through different materials that you two choose. You meet as often as you want. And these people are also directing you over time to make sure that you're involved in ministry. You're not just waiting. Mm -hmm. But the real key component is to have someone that they're meeting with so that they have this rhythm of kind of a soft accountability. So we started it about a year ago, and I found there were three high school kids, and I found out and talked to them, and then I connected them with the girl who had she had actually been approved to be journeyman when COVID happened mm. and and has been and met with them weekly. They wanted to meet weekly. They're at two of them are off at college now, so they won't meet weekly. But I think the encouragement because they come back and they're all fired up, but then who around them is fired up. So to have someone who may or may not have, you know, actual experience overseas, but is walking with them, whether it's once a month or however, just to keep them thinking about the future and moving towards that, thinking about, hey, what are you going to be doing next summer? I think that's a form of both discipleship and mobilization because you're keeping that calling before them and those girls loved it. And there's, you know, my wife's meeting with someone just recently that I found out this summer she felt called and I was like, okay, would you like to meet with my wife? And so they've been meeting. So I think that that's encouraging to me because, you know, for most of us, it was like, hey, I feel called and someone's like, hey, you know, go to this website. Or for me, <laughs> I actually wrote a letter to the IMB <laughs> and got a physical letter back. And that was it. That was all the instruction I got. So to have people who are just with them, who have a heart and have a heart to see them move forward <clears throat> is encouraging. Yeah. You're really like discipling them towards the nations. Yeah. There's another kid. He feels that way. And we have someone retired from the field and I connected them with them. And so they meet. So I, I just feel like there's a lot of promise there. It's, of course, highly relational. But that's mm -hmm. kind of what they need, you know. Mm -hmm. And if they drop out of that, you don't want them to. But if you they drop out of that, okay, you know, it's like this is about as much support as you can give them. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't mean that in a callous way. I just mean maybe that's not what the Lord wants for them, you know. But for those that do, to have that regular meeting, yeah, it's so simple, but I think powerful. Now you're you're at a really big church, and you've got. A lot of experience. What if you're a what if you're a pastor at a smaller church? You've never been overseas. You have a kid. Like, how do you go about finding a missions mentor for that kid? 
one of the things I feel like is you don't have to have, you know, our little booklet, it's very simple, just says, hey, here's some resources you could use. You could read these to get, you know, read them together. We get together and talk, watch these videos, get together to talk. Mm-hmm. It's You're not required to be an expert. You're just required to have a heart for it and, and a heart to pour into them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it you. doesn't have to be super time consuming. You know, I these girls met once a week and I, I was like, are y'all sure? I was scared to death. They were just going to get burned out. But, you know, I think for most people, once a month works. Well, yeah, I think you're touching on something we've said over and over again uh, the last few episodes is it's about relationship. Relationships is what talking about mobilizing. It's not a necessarily a, a strategy or a resource. It's a relationship that's the most powerful tool. So I think that's uh, sort of affirms that. Hmm. That's well, awesome. What was it like getting like getting the momentum up and going towards missions in your church? Now, I assume if they hired you as a missions pastor, they already had some some degree of missions there. But you know, you're also going in like you don't have anybody that's coming back, or maybe you do. But how? What was it like trying to get the momentum up and going? Um, I know a lot of our campus ministries. It seems like that's a like getting that momentum going is a really big deal, and even uh, COVID kind of like knocked some of them off their rhythm because it's like you had used to have all these students coming back, now all of a sudden you have this dearth. What was that like for you? What would, advice would you give? Yes, they would take maybe one trip a year, you know, to plan, and and then I I just learned like at least in the church setting. So we'd put out information, we'd advertise, hey, we're going to have, you know, a a mission trip information meeting and I, you know, have a handout or whatever. And we'd have people come to that, but I just learned that having that kind of broad uh, promotion of it kind of raises some awareness and then coming along and personally inviting people either to that meeting or or other people that you think of after that meeting is helpful. I know for me, like for me personally, as important as the trip is, the meetings leading up to the trip are important because it's of the discipleship opportunity, team forming opportunity, equipping them. But I also realized I needed to space these out so that if you count the initial meeting that I would have one or two more meetings to kind of firm up the the team and they're spaced about a month apart because, you know, I would get the name of everyone. I was like, Hey, you may not know whether you're going or not. No problem, but give me your name because so I can follow up with everyone that came to the meeting and find out where they're going. So I think that personal invitation is more critical than the general promotion, which mm-hmm. again, it's just like it vaguely puts it in the back of your mind. Like you've seen a commercial 50 times and not fully paid attention. That's kind of what I think of it. And then coming along and asking them go, Oh yeah, I did hear something about that. So that's, you know, that's part of it. And just praying, you know, I, it's, it's always, it's not predictable what it's going to be like. And sometimes the initial response isn't good, but we, there's others that just show up later. And then with you know with the college, I think it's a little easier because they they're at a good place, and it's a college only trip, you know, except for like sponsors, and I think that's appealing to them. 
So it was, it has been a challenge. And then the bigger your church is, the harder it is to get your message out. People just, there's a million things going on. And I would say it's, it gets harder every year. The prime time space is more limited. So you just have to have other ways, whether it's emailing, I'll find classes, small groups and email them information after the meeting when I've, I'll kind of release that information sheet and put it out to people. So I think it's, you know, it's real work just to kind of make sure they even understand that it exists a little bit smaller church. That's not a problem. And my church wasn't very small where I was when I was a, a believer, we ran probably 700, but still you knew everything that was going on. If you wanted to, you can't do that here. You know, you've, you've shared a lot about short-term trips that you've taken people on, things like that. You know, if you could get every one of those people that come back from doing one of those to do one thing, what would that be? If you could kind of help them capitalize on that experience, what would you want them to do? Well, I think what I'm going to say doesn't seem logical, maybe, but honestly, the one thing I would have them do is to share the gospel more consistently here. I think as you're more faithful with that, it deepens your own heart and compassion for lost people. And if you went overseas, you probably have some compassion towards them anyway. It will only increase that. But you could do a whole bunch of other things. But if you have no goal of sharing your faith more, I don't know, it's in some ways, I think it, you might be fooling yourself about how much you really care. So mm-hmm. I think do you know being faithful of where you're at. I mean, no one's you know, we all need to grow. It it takes constant attention, I think. But just what it, wherever they're at, just helping them grow more faithful in that because it prepares them if they're ever going to go back overseas. Even if you don't share exactly the same way, the passion that you need is the basically the same. You know, the faith that you need is basically the same because you're calling dead people to life. So that's the thing that crosses my mind. That's really good. Well, James, you have any more questions here? I'm going to turn it over you to you for kind of final thoughts. Final and thoughts. Here. I just know based on all your experience, where do you see, how do you see missions being different 20 to 50 years from now? How do you, do you see any, how do you see mobilization being different? What do you see? Are we going to be like sending out robots to do mobilization <laughs> in their flying machines or something? <laughs> oh, you know, I think sometimes when you stand back in history, you can see from afar. I mean, so, you know, what is missions mobilization like in Britain now? Maybe that's what it's going to be closer to for us, like in 20 years, because our, as the culture changes and our church changes, you know, if. If there's any low-level persecution of the church, you know, tax exemption revoked, all of these things that could have fundamentally affect the church. I don't think it stops it, but I think it changes it because we become more and more and more in the minority. So I don't, I don't know, but I think about that, you know, that we're not Europe and there's many ways we're different from Europe because I think our the base of the Christianity that was established in the States was firmly evangelical. Whereas, you know, in Europe, it was really Roman Catholic 
and and I think that 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 makes us different. But we are still influenced by the same currents and trends, and so like it might, you know, it, it just might take a lot more effort to send someone than it does now. I mean, you think about our agencies that we have, maybe they'll never go away, but if we're living in an environment that's hostile to that, it might be that you're not really sending people through those kinds of organizations. I don't know. I I have no idea whether it's 20 years or longer, but I do think that some change is coming and we just have to trust the Lord with it and, and not give up. Yeah, we're not going to send drones out to do it, and we're not going to outsource it either. <laughs> I remember stumbling across this guy. He was Indian, and he was just like, hey, send us your money. You know, mm-hmm. We can send out workers so much cheaper than you coming over. We know the language, the culture, you know, all these things that appeal to you. But I remember thinking, brother, you're barking up the wrong tree. As soon as we just start sending money only, it won't be long until there's no passion and no money would follow either. And besides, we can't outsource the Great Commission. Like, hey, you do that for me because I really don't want to do that. So, but anyway, I do think things are things will change. Yeah, which makes your your suggestion for everybody coming back from a short term mission trip to share the gospel. That makes it all all the more important. All three of us have recently been to New England and they were saying up there, like a lot of like a lot of the problems that we were having, like we're just like 15 or 20 years ahead of you guys, you know, down in the Bible belt, which is true, but they're also talking about sending students too. So that was encouraging, but they're having to be maybe way more diligent. They're having to start people from zero where, you know, we get them sometimes coming into their church. They already came out of youth group, you know, they've, so they just get them a little farther along. It is encouraging, though, to see that that's happening, right? Mm -hmm. I met a man there. I said, how'd you come to know the Lord? We were in Vermont. And he'd grown up in some church, went away to college, came to know the Lord through that uh, ministry at the college, went back, was fired up. And, you know, it must have been really small church to ask him to speak. He was telling them what all they learned. And they looked at him like, we don't know what you're talking about. And (laughs) we're uninterested. And he said to himself, I need a different church. Anyway. But yeah, you know, God's alive and, and moving. For sure. Well, we really, really appreciate your time here. I hope, I hope God opens the door for you guys to at least go back on some short-term trips. I hope he, I hope he brings some more, more of those stories of where you get to see some of the fruit of your work and bring some of those people into your lives here. Amen. Yeah. Grateful for you, Ray. Come up and visit us as soon as you can. All right. Oh, I, I will. I love you, Brad. Yeah, we need yeah. to get up there. Yeah, my my family would be real excited to see you. We really love you guys as well, and look forward to connecting again. And appreciate you being on the podcast. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Mm-hmm.